Colossians chapter 1, verse 24, through to chapter 2, verse 5. And we're going to take this message over two weeks. Now, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that is given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Uh, let, let's begin with a secret. Uh, there's something enticing, there's something intriguing about a secret. Uh, one day, a friend of mine announced that he had a secret and all the young people gathered around him, and I was one of them, so this happened a fair while ago. And, um, and so all the young people come, came around him and then he beckoned, come in closer, come in closer. And we all gathered around him close and he looks around. He says, I am surrounded by incompetence. And of course, the joke was on us. Uh, we all love a secret. Um, it's that juicy bit of information that nobody else knows. Uh, it, it's what fuels a rumour so that it takes off like wildfire. Uh, a secret is what inspires mystery novels and investigative journalists and, and the paparazzi who are digging into people's private lives because apparently that's a secret we need to know. Uh, when it comes to the internet, claiming to have a secret is the ideal clickbait. It's the clickbait for news sites, clickbait for gossip sites and conspiracy sites. And, and of course, there's the good old fashioned, here's a secret weight loss tip that everybody needs to know. To possess a secret, it gives a person a sense of power. Uh, I know something that you don't know. Or better still, I know something that we're not supposed to know and I can share it with you. Whether it be true or whether it be false, doesn't matter. It's a secret and we want to know it. But if the love of having a good secret is so great, then faith in the Lord Jesus Christ should be 
the most sought-after learning in the world. You see, Christianity, God's plan of salvation for the world, is a mystery. Now, that doesn't mean that, that the gospel is a mystery that cannot be grasped, nor is it a secret that cannot be told. What it means is that for so long, it was kept hidden. But then God revealed it. Uh, throughout the ages, throughout the generations, God was doing his work through his chosen people, Israel. He's doing something, but it remained hidden. He'd even told them that, that Israel would be a light to the nations and that through them, people of other nationalities would also find salvation in God. But when Jesus came into the world, Jesus, who was God's means of salvation, most of Israel totally missed it. And yet they'd been waiting for this for generations. In the Gospel of John, chapter 1, it says, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world. And the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And then in verse 26 of today's reading, it speaks of the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. There's, there's something very exclusive about the way that God reveals himself and about the way that God saves. God hasn't revealed this mystery to everyone, but only to the saints. Who are the saints? Well, a few weeks ago, we talked about this. As, as we read the address of this letter, in verse 2, it said, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. And we talked about how some folk like to think of the saints as being, they're those extra patient people, right? Oh, he's got the patience of a saint. Or the extra godly people. Oh, that lady, she is so saintly. Or we think of saints as being those who are canonised by a bloke in Rome because they've done extraordinary miracles. But biblically, saints are literally the holy ones. The Greek word is hagios, which means holy ones. We are holy because Christ has taken our sins away. He died for us on the cross, washing us clean, making us holy. And that is what sainthood is. As we put our faith in Jesus, we become saints. Now, that's a secret which is truly worth knowing. That's the mystery, hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. And so if you are a faithful disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, you are a saint. And that means you have a secret. It's a secret worth knowing. It's a secret worth telling. The mystery has been revealed to you as the mystery has been revealed to me. What this means is that although the saints of God are generally not seen as being wise by worldly standards, in fact, 
the saints of the Lord Jesus Christ are, are often the undertrodden and they're often the despised. Often we're looked down upon and, and mocked by the world as being idiots or, oh, you're a simpleton because you even believe in a God. But things are not as they appear. We are indeed privileged. We're in privilege that, that our Heavenly Father has revealed to us. He has given to us insight into God's purpose for creation. And it's an insight that hasn't been given to the whole world. Have you ever wondered why an unbeliever that you try and share your faith with, they, they just don't get it? An unbeliever cannot understand why you would choose to give up everything to follow Jesus. And yet to us, it's so clear. And we can't understand, why, why wouldn't you grab hold of this good news too? Why not? They just don't get it. Because to them, the mystery remains hidden. And sometimes no matter how much we try to teach someone the good news, unless God, by his Holy Spirit, is revealing to them the mystery of Christ, then they'll remain in the dark and they're not going to get it. And the mystery has been revealed. Uh, the word behind revealed there, um, the Greek word is very close to our word epiphany. It's from which we get our word epiphany, right? So, oh, I've had an epiphany. Oh, my eyes have opened. I've, I suddenly see something which I just wasn't understanding it, but now I get it. And so our eyes are open to God's reality. And usually in the scriptures, whenever this Greek word epiphany is used in the New Testament, it's to do with the coming. It's to do with the appearing of Christ, right? So the epiphany of Christ was that, Christ, that Jesus was born into this world. His coming into this world is the epiphany. And so it's entirely appropriate to use that word here because what God has revealed to us isn't so much a step-by-step -step chronological orderly plan of how he is going to save the world. What God has revealed is a person. The epiphany is Christ. Here's the mystery. Here's the secret. Verse 27 says, To them, to who? To the, that's the saints. To the saints, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of of glory. This is the mystery. Christ in you. Christ in who? Christ in the saints. Christ in the faithful disciples of Jesus. Christ in those who are born again. Christ in those who die to this world and live for Christ. The hope of glory. Wowzers! Israel didn't see that coming. You know, something a lot of us don't realise is the Jews themselves were actually quite keen evangelists. Uh, that's why whenever the apostles took the gospel out as missionaries and they headed off into Gentile territory, the first place that they would ever preach when they came to a new city or a new town was at the local synagogue. 
Now, why were there Jewish synagogues deep in the midst of Gentile territory? It's because the Jews were evangelists for their cause. They, they, they were going to save the Gentiles by turning them into good law-abiding Jews. All right? So we realise that the, the Jewish mindset is there's two types of people in the world. There's the Jews, God's chosen people, and there's everybody else named as the Gentiles. They were godless, and, and we had to, had to um, try and get them to, to believe in God. And so they were going to turn them into good law-abiding Jews and draw them into the practice of, of the Levitical and the covenantal law that they had. And by jumping through all of these hoops, the cleanliness laws and, and the sacrifice and whatnot, the message was you too can get a bit closer to God, but you can't get too close to God. You see, they came to the temple. There was a thing called the court of the Gentiles right on the outskirts of the temple. So the Gentiles could get that close, but they couldn't go into where the real people of God worshipped. And in the book of Acts, we see the term sometimes being used of God-fearers. So the God-fearers were the Gentiles who had heard this message about God and they believed in God, they worshipped God, but they hadn't taken the final step of actually becoming a Jew. So they, they, were, God, they were known as God-fearers. And that was their hope, to get a little bit closer to God. But in Christ, the curtain is pulled back and we have an epiphany. Our eyes are open. You don't have to keep all of these rules and regulations to get a little bit closer to God. Christ in you is the hope of glory. Now, if you're wanting to get close to God, how's that for close? Right? You're not going to be stuck in the court of the Gentiles. It's Christ in you. And this means a lot for us. Is there anybody here who knows they're of Jewish heritage? No one? The Scots of Jewish heritage? There you go, one of us. The rest of us would have been Gentiles. So, Scott, you would have been privileged. You could have gotten close. But you know what? The mystery is revealed. Christ in you. Not just in the Jews, but the Christ in, in all of the saints. Christ in you is the hope of glory. So we're not just in the general proximity of God, but it is God in us. That's the ultimate closeness. And this is the hope of glory. You know, a lot of people are of the opinion that, that if someone's a good person, when they die, they're going to enter the glory of God. Now, that's nothing more than wishful thinking. The scriptures never, ever say that. Christ in you is the hope of glory. And so if you're ever in a conversation with someone and, and talking about, okay, what I need to do to get to heaven? Well, the thing is, it's not what you need to do, it's what you need to be and what you need to have. We need to have, we need to be saints. We need to have Christ in us. But are the saints the good people? Are they the patient people? Are they those people who are extra well behaved? No, the saints are those who are born again. The saints are those who repent of sin and put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And this 
is the mystery of Christ in us. And it's so important. It's something that Paul says, we proclaim it, we defend it. That's what he means when he says warning everyone. We teach it. He says teaching everyone with all wisdom. Why? That we may present everyone mature in Christ. Last week, we broke the message up under four headings. Were, are, will, if. We were hostile to Christ. Even in our thinking, we were hostile to Christ. But by the cross of Jesus, we are reconciled to him. Because we are reconciled, we will be presented as holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Then verse 23 said, If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. And so for us, it's a week ago we read that, but it's only a paragraph ago in this letter. And so now by the Holy Spirit, Paul is proclaiming, he's defending by warning, and he's teaching to help make ensure that this happens. He says that we may present everyone mature in Christ. You see, the, the job of a preacher, it, it doesn't end with conversion. Right? The job of a preacher isn't just to tell somebody how to get saved and then they're magically saved and that's it. The job of a preacher is to continue teaching and to continue defending and continue presenting people in Christ that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And that's why what we do here at church, we, we learn from the scriptures every time we meet. It's a key part of what we do. Paul doesn't want any of us dropping out halfway through. We will be presented mature in Christ only if we continue steadfast in the faith. And that's why he's proclaiming. That's why he's warning. That's why he's teaching. And the faith, the gospel that is our foundation, what we believe about Jesus Christ and about salvation is really, really important. Last week, Paul talked about being stable and steadfast and not shifting from the hope of the gospel. But which gospel? There appears to be many different versions of the gospel being taught today. Are there different versions of the gospel? No. There is only one gospel, the gospel that the apostles taught. And anything that differs from that is a perversion. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is unchanging. It is the firm foundation on which generations of Christians have put their faith. And any man-made gospel, any kind of inoffensive, anemic gospel, is not the gospel. Now, when it comes to proclaiming the gospel, when it comes to warning other disciples of Jesus to avoid false teachings and to stick to the true gospel. When it comes to teaching 
the true gospel and, and not leaving room for false teachings that appeal to our sinful nature. There's a very real cost to that. There is always a cost to, to holding to truth and to rejecting, rejecting deception. There's a cost to me today. There's a cost to any Bible gospel-focused teacher today, as there was a cost to Paul. Paul was in jail for proclaiming the gospel. When he wrote this letter, that's where he was, he's in jail. But for any gospel-focused preacher today, when they call out a false gospel, they'll often get rejected as being, ah, oh, you're too hard line. Just live and let live. But it's really important we don't because the true gospel is so important. Paul tells us for this purpose, he struggles and he toils. Now, the struggle that he's talking about isn't anything minor. The, the struggle for Paul is persecution and suffering. In verse 24, he said, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. I find this extraordinary. He's suffering for a church that he's never even met. He's never even been there. It says, in, in my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. What a bizarre statement. <laughs> and over the years, there's been a lot of ink spilt over that verse. But let me put it very simply. What makes this verse a bit weird is that he talks about filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. So for us to understand it, we've got to begin by clearing the decks. That does not refer to there being anything lacking in what Christ has done for salvation. The scriptures, including the writings of Paul himself, are absolutely clear on this. Christ is sufficient. There is nothing lacking in what Christ has done on the cross to save us from our sins. And hopefully we're all agreed on this. Are we agreed on this? Christ has done everything necessary to save us from our sins in his death and resurrection. Are we agreed? If not, I'm sure you'll find some heretics somewhere down the road. You'll find somebody to agree with you. But no further sacrifice is required. Jesus is the once and all sacrifice. If you read in Hebrews, you'll find a fair bit of reference to this. For example, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10. We have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Right? So we clear the deck. The death of Jesus on the cross is completely sufficient to pay the penalty of our sins. But what Paul reveals here is a very important truth. Christ continues to suffer today for the sake of his church. And this suffering is the suffering of disciples of Jesus, particularly the suffering of those who suffer because they preach and teach the gospel and preach and teach and preach the, the truth and warn the church of deception. 
But I'm going to leave you hanging at that point because uh, you're going to have to wait until next time we meet, which is going to be in two weeks' time uh, when we'll carry that on and, and explain that a bit further. But let's pray. Oh Lord, what a privilege it is to have this mystery revealed to us, your saints, Christ in us. Lord, help us to cherish this. And by your Holy Spirit, help us to understand the hidden treasures of wisdom and knowledge of Christ Jesus. Lord, although we call it a secret, although we call it a mystery, may we not keep it as a secret, but may we do what Paul did, proclaim, teach, warn, love. And Lord, may you continue to reveal your secret to those whom you are calling, that they too would experience the hope of glory, Christ in us. Amen.